0: Hey everybody, Nico here, and welcome to The Reign of X on X's for Podcast. We're going to be taking a look at not just the X-Men books, but books that are tying into the bigger picture of what X-Men's becoming. With the X-Men turning to space in the pages of Sword, and increasingly magical content throughout the pages of X-Men, it's hard not to see the ways the X-Men are interacting with the universe around them. First up, we're going to be taking a look at X Factor Number Five. It was myself, Josh, Jonah, and Evelyn. And this next piece does require a bit of a trigger warning. There are discussions of abusive relationships, violence against women, and self destructive habits, and the ways in which Leah Williams and David Baldione's title is cutting through so much nonsense to deliver a powerful emotional psychological title that truly affects us as panelists. It was an incredibly emotional and powerful piece to be a part of. I'm so proud of everyone for the way they opened up, and I hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, and welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico Action, and you can find me at N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N on Twitter and Instagram.
1: Hey, I'm Evelyn, the Comic Canary. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at comic underscore canary.
2: Hey, I'm Josh. You can find me at, Asleep at the Wheel, W-E-I-L on Twitter, and at AsleepattheWheel.com.
3: And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah, and we hope you survive this experience just like Windancer did. She's back, y'all, and she's flying.
0: She's flying. So, it's kind of not a secret that this team super X-Factor. This is Probably the book that we go the wildest over every single week and before we even kick things off with this issue I want to talk for a minute about the fact that we've had four issues of X Factor in general discussion I think one of the things that I was most shocked about is how either fan favorite or deeply unlikable this cast was it's a really polarizing cast and it only seems to be getting bigger. I know I was kind of like thrown when the book changed directions really suddenly for Ten of Swords, but it kind of felt like I didn't lose anything here. I feel like I came right back into the narrative. How did you guys feel about those first four issues of X Factor?
2: I loved them. Um, I'm just such a huge Leah fan. She is easily one of my favorite writers today. Anything she does... It's one of those things where I know whether I like the characters or not, if I pick it up, I'm going to love the book, um, which is so rare. And I love the first four issues. And I love that, like, with these characters, like you said, I started off not super caring about this crew. Like, I looked at it and there were some I liked and some I didn't like. Like, I have never liked DeKen before. And now here I am loving Daken and loving the Lorna Deken dynamic that I did not see coming at all. Lo- like wanting more of the Decan and Aurora parts, which again, Aurora, another character that I've never cared for before. And like, there's, she's really hard to care about, dude. <laughs> I know. Like, yeah, like her most notable <laughs> stuff. Well, her most notable stuff is dynamics with Wild Child, who like, on whose top 10 list and Northstar who, you know, people who love just kind of love to hate him or love that he's a dick, like, cause he's a dick. And, and yet here we are getting her with De Ken, another unlikable character and they're adorable. It's yeah. Uh, and Leah's already started bringing back Adam X and spiral and other like nineties. Oh my God. I love freak out characters. Um, it's, it's fantastic. And, and the tone with Baldeon's art, like I liked Baldeon's art in Domino. It is so much better suited for this. It is, it's, it's just, it's my favorite book. It's going to be fun. It's going to be emotional. It's going to have real character dynamics and moments. It's never going to make me cringe. It's like, I I know that I'm going to get something great. My expectations are so high and I open it and I'm still blown away every time.
0: Now, Evelyn, I know that you've been working in an LCS, so you're exposed to books nonstop, but you have been crazy about X Factor since day one. What's made you so excited about this book for these first few issues?
1: I mean, it's no secret that it's, like, I've got, like, the biggest lady boner for Rachel Summers, like, forever. Like, I've been, like, in love with her since I was little. Like, so when I saw that there was going to be something that focused on her, that heavily featured her, I was like, yes, bring it. But I also love like Hilarious and I love Dakin. And I'm like, okay, let's go. These seem like an interesting group of people. Why not? Let's see what happens here. And the plot itself sounded really interesting about having just like a bunch of detectives. I love that kind of shit. So I was I was here for it.
0: And, you know, we're all talking about how this book ties back into so many, like, amazing things for us from, you know, our ex-lore of the past and how it's bringing up 90s things and characters we grew up with. Jonah, you're the newest to the crew in terms of coming into your own ex. But every time we talk, X Factor is consistently at the top of your list. What's made those first four issues of X Factor splash off the page for you?
3: Well, even from its you know iter- uh, cover art when it was first announced that this was going to be a title and the team was revealed, it was a very colorful co- cast. And that's not even a joke. They really kind of gave everybody their own color, and it was a rainbow of X Men. And that is like partially a wink, wink, nod, nod, because this is a very heavily LGBTQ team, and seeing it's okay. It is.
2: Oh, it I'm is. I'm respecting the lesbians, Jonah. Oh we, yeah, we oh them.
3: <laughs> we respect them. Close your eyes, <laughs> all of them. What I like about it is, besides just the representation of what that means for all these characters who are all across the spectrum, it's giving this. Breath of like fresh air to characters that I either didn't know, like iBoy or didn't know too well, like Dokken and Prodigy, or characters who I think needed a kind of revamp to who they are as a character and what that means for them, like Polaris and Rachel. I am really ex- I was really excited to see what they were going to do with it and uh, I make no secret that I have the what's the opposite of a uh, of a boner uh, the biggest disdain for North Star and I, I am just so excited to see how many new ways I can learn to not like him <laughs> it's just been a really compelling ride so far and going through these four issues, The concept, I thought, was so fascinating, and I think every week they continue to deliver something fresh and exciting and new to what the overall idea is.
0: And the overall idea is moving somewhere I couldn't have guessed from the first solicit. You know, sometimes when you start a TV show and it's like 13 episodes, and episode 1 and 13 seem like two different shows, and you're like, fuck this! I feel kind of like... Issue 1 and issue 5 of X Factor are two very different books, but in a way that feels uh, evolving. It's natural. I don't feel like this is a huge shift, but it is a huge shift. I'm really excited to see where it's going to go. And this week, it went somewhere that was really central to my becoming an X-Fan. I have made no bones about it. New X-Men by Grant Morrison is the bomb shit. And during that era, they tried relaunching the New Mutants as New Mutants Volume 2 out of a story in X-Men Unlimited 42. Now, that story featured Emma Frost and Danny Moonstar, and then Danny Moonstar comes back to the school and kind of starts running a school situation so that new X Men could be busy with the world ending, you know, it's supposed to be a school book, so they had to find a way to put the school back into it. And that's where a lot of these focused-on characters came from. Sophia, Windancer Dancer, is best known from her time in the Nunzio and uh, Weir run of, I believe it's Nunzio Di Filippis and Christina Weir, who were a married couple. They wrote New Mutants Volume 2 for 13 issues, and then they wrote the first 19 issues, as well as the yearbook special and the four part Hellions mini series of new X-Men Academy X. They were ultimately removed from the book in order to make way for Laura X23 to be written by her creators, Kyle and Yost, who would go on to give the book a bit more of a everyone's gonna die kind of feel. But these characters were from sort of this rosy, magical reflection of astonishing, right? The run that they're best known for is available from 2004 to 2006. It kind of gets killed in House of M and never really comes back. But these characters, including Prodigy, who is such a significant portion of this book, really, this is this is touching like my entrance to comics as an adult in a way that makes me very happy. Now, Josh, I believe you care a little bit more about Adam X than I do, and that bird person starts off this book.
2: I was so excited. I've been waiting forever. I have... Stupid ninety characters in my heart, like Adam X and Maggot, that I love so much, and um, forever. And I've been waiting for Adam X. Like I, for me, every time I see Vulcan, I just I go back to like, but but like you guys read Nieves's, you know that Adam X was like he was even with the wrong Summer's grandfather, like the wrong. He was, like, he had the bond in the snow, and, like, we covered this. He's the, and, you know, since then, Nisieza has gone on record as saying, too, that, like, that's what he was building towards, and then he left and Labdel lab- lab- del- shit. and But, like, yes, I'm just so happy. Like, Adam X has been gone for far too long, and I love to see him there, and I'm glad that he's coming back and not only that we got to see him but then that we got like a hard tease that oh yeah no 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 x factor is gonna go and they're gonna rescue adam x and spiral who i also love so much and Shatterstar, and they're gonna bring them all back at some point and yay like
0: We've actually heard that Adam X is going to get a bit of that closure to the Summers Brothers story in this upcoming, ongoing title where former X writers get to come back and finish their stories. I did. I, I, you know, I
2: I don't know how it's all going to fit in with Krakoa, but I want to see it. I think it's kind of necessary. Like, I'm glad they're doing that, especially for Adam X, because... Nisieza laid the stuff down. Other people ignored it. It got even more convoluted. They're gonna bring him back now. I think you definitely need someone who knew what that original trajectory was that has never been like explicitly put in print to be able to go in and, you know, fit that into the timeline and say, like, here's where Adam X was conceived, born, cloned, whatever, and how he like. So that way you know, he can have a room in the orgy house on the moon later on.
0: (laughs) Speaking of room for people, they recently had to make room for Sophia now that they have her back later in this issue. But the issue opens up with, once again, talking about Sophia's on-camera murder. Now, Evelyn, it's impossible to be a, a nerd girl or a geek girl and not experience some pretty horrific treatment, and there is something about the visible torture of a woman for the sake of entertainment that unfortunately seems to connect with this medium way too often. Now, the book is written by a brilliant woman, so clearly it was all handled with a deft hand and a woman's touch, but What did it mean to you to once again see violence against women as the inciting incident for the story?
1: So I'm going to preface this by saying I'm going to try really hard not to do anything triggering, but just in case, I want people to know that it definitely could get that way. Um, Here, wait, I'll play a trigger
0: warning.
3: I've only loaded a couple of sound effects. Nope, we're not playing baseball. This is not a league of their own.
1: Um. So this is something that I've talked about in my own life, my own experience being a geek girl, I have had violence threatened against me. And this is something that I have noticed in especially in comics that violence against women is something that's very prominent. And especially and like with Mojoverse and with this whole concept of streaming, there has been things in the news lately, how people have been streaming violence against women with people keep, donating and viewing just to watch it because there's just a lot of sick fucks out there and I think that this was handled really well this was shown that like it's messed up that people want it but um, she used it as a way to escape the situation she was in so it was definitely written very well but it definitely did bring up a lot of feelings in me where it's like yeah people love seeing women hurt they love seeing women Against violence, Something I always talk about is fridging in comic books. Um, made very popular in the DC comic Green Lantern when Kyle Rayner's girlfriend was literally killed and stuffed in a fridge.
0: Thank you forever, Gail. Thank you forever for making this a thing.
1: Yeah, just to simply expand his own uh, motivations and character development and fridging is something that happens just so often in comic books something that just it's it's a lazy trope in my opinion it's lazy and stupid and I just I hate every second of it this to me was not fridging this was an actual thing for her this was part of her development this was a way for her to escape her situation so having it written by a woman and written in this way was so profound to me because it was so so different than the typical violence against women that you see that is something that like we were even talking about in the green room is that violence against women um, in these type of situations is just so prominent and it is a problem so to me this almost brings it up in a way that is good for the story but talks about how it's like this is a fucked up thing that does happen and it could potentially start a conversation about it
0: And I really hope that it does, because this was a very different... Like, I agree with you on every level. This is a very different kind of violence against women. Because with death as no threat, they're able to prove a point without actually sacrificing the character. And that's a very different change. And Jonah... You, like we've said, have kind of come into this game playing catch-up, and it was really interesting to see the five kind of be like, Polaris, why didn't you tell your team what happened? And her being like, I didn't feel like going into a failed resurrection in graphic detail. No. Now, one of the things that we've said makes this book so unique is that we get the time to see characters' emotional reactions to things as opposed to whizzing by them. Jonah, was the emotion in this book real to you? Did you feel the character's connection or did it all kind of play out like kind of standard superhero fare?
3: I think it was a mix of both, but in the best way possible in that it's kind of talking about the, you know, the death process. And I think now with the resurrection process, death means something completely different on Krakoa, but Having them all go through to try to quote-unquote fix Rock Slide was a very fascinating process. And seeing them all react in different ways of trying to use their own powers to see, well, how do we fix them how do, how do we get him to work? How do we get him to move? And Rachel having to be the one to figure out that he was just born. He's literally only a week old. So we know this takes place a week after the first events of uh, Ten of Swords. It was really, I just thought it was so fascinating to see everybody react in their own ways that I felt were genuine to what their characters were.
2: Hi, and, I'm iBoy. Happy birthday. We love you already.
3: Oh my god. Like, it was so wholesome. Oh, I love it was so much. So adorable. Stan iBoy from, you know, respecting the lesbians to saying happy birthday to Rockslide. I
0: remember when I was the only person defending him being on that fucking cover. I'm just saying.
3: <laughs> uh, he's he's fairly useful even uh, i mean dakken was like uh, who uses that as an alias and i was like well what else did you want him to go by cyclops was taken yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, and i love
0: that you bring up dakken especially in terms of the rock slide scene i had been kind of concerned that they were treating this like 19 year old man kind of like a puppy and to understand that it's not that he is a dog on four legs, but he is a newborn crawling was a transformative experience for me. you know And the fact that it's Rachel, and you know earlier, Evelyn, you were talking about how Rachel really touches you, and I can't think of anyone better to help connect with the mind of someone so wounded, right Like Rachel is the wounded gray.
1: Oh, you know absolutely. what I mean
0: And so to see her get to be the one who's like, I'm going to help take care of Rockslide. I'll admit, maybe the thing I didn't need was Northstar telling her how to use her powers. I maybe didn't need Northstar saying, why don't you try chrono skimming? I kind of wish Rachel had said, hey, you know what's interesting? I've known I could chrono skim way fucking longer than you have, buddy, instead of good idea. I understand it's maybe meant to show teamwork and camaraderie, but it kind of seemed to me like someone telling Rachel how to use her powers, and yeah. if there's one thing no one needs to tell Rachel how to do, it's use her fucking powers.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, like, on the same level about Northstar, where it's like, he's just that- he's that annoying himbo at the bar that you just kind of ignore. Like, <laughs>
0: he's- He is the worst. I
1: describe him. He's- I've never been a fan of the twins. I'm going to be honest. They they've always been slightly annoying. Um, But yeah, I definitely would have preferred a moment of Rachel just because Rachel, I feel like she's definitely got like she's got that fire. She's got that sarcasm. She's got that quip. And I guess they're like, oh, we need to show camaraderie and teamwork. But part of teamwork is like, no, shut up. I know what I'm doing. Like people do that. Like.
2: Leah has also said too though, and I try to take this into account, that her take on Rachel is that Rachel is the stoner gay. And so, like, I tend to read Rachel a little more as just kind of like sighing under her breath and rolling her eyes at North Star whenever he says anything, like, oh, this now, fucking guy.
1: That, I absolutely see
2: it. As the Stoner gay, I feel like I would still get annoyed.
0: <laughs> And, you know, she even, like, Rachel is so interesting, because she comes from days of the future past, she had a completely different, like, one to 20 years old than, than you know, the other X-Men have, and she's been lost in the time stream, and she is aware of her mind as it went further through life because of her chrono-skimming abilities. So even though this Rachel is, let's just say, 25 years old, she remembers when she was 85 in the future. So the fact that she's able to communicate so clearly is such an important detail for me. She's had so much life experience to be able to communicate from. So when she says that it's kind of like when a projector just keeps flipping, it's so interesting Because she's actually making something that a non-psychic would really struggle to understand really clear, and not just a non-psychic, but rather, I got to the beginning of his timeline, I chrono-skimmed back as far as I could on him. I just, this is the most I've ever liked Rachel. And like, I've always liked Rachel, but this is the most I've ever liked Rachel.
1: I did love the way they described it. I thought they did a really fantastic job with that. And like, obviously the, the art style made it really easy to visualize. But I think even if they didn't um, actually draw it, I feel like I would have definitely understood it really well. And I thought that was just a brilliant moment of storytelling.
2: Yeah, I want to, again, I, I know I mentioned how much I love David Baldion's art on this. You can't mention it enough. Him and Leah as a team because he's not. So he is a kind of Humberto Ramos style artist for me, where he's another artist I love a lot. But he's cartoony in a way that he doesn't work on every book. Um, but he we worked, call this the Deformed Fashion Book. He works with Leah so well on this, and like there's another thing I want to point out, and I know we're going to talk more about Sophia again, but like the scene where Sophia is reborn, it he can make someone naked and he can make a woman look beautiful and naked without it looking like 90s style image comic softcore porn like Wait, you mean it doesn't have to all look like danger girl like she can be naked and not titillating to be able to fit that into a book that's going to have a lot of resurrections to be able to have all that emotion and beauty and dance on that line so well Like he compliments what Lee is going to do perfectly on this. And I hope that they get to stay together as a team on this book for a very long time. And it's, A really great, I love that you said, you know, her nakedness isn't defined by sexuality
0: because that moment where she's come out of the egg and she's like, there's no other word I can think of than she's glorious. Absolutely. Yeah, when Hellion is standing right down there, although Hellion's face is so adorable. Hey, like, (laughs) he's like, he's just right there in her face. And there's just something, like, I don't want to say religious, but like Krakowan religious about the glory of her standing there. Covered in light, it's a really breathtaking moment that is only taken further by the stunning conceptual character work on Flyers Got to Fly. That was one oh. of the moments where I was just like, "This is, this is." I went to therapy for so many years. I, I feel like Leah. I feel like if I just went to Leah, I would have only gone to therapy for a few months because she would understand me and she would just take care of me and I would be fine.
2: Just Leah Leah gets it all so well. I, I I'll tell you, I sold like I at my LCS that I don't work at, I you know, just used to hang out at back in the days when we used to go places. Um I sold a number of copies of her X Men black Emma Frost. Like in the days leading up to it and when it came out, I remember having conversations with people and they're like, I don't know, like I don't even know who this writer is and like like Emma's kinda sucked lately, like why would I want this book? <laughs> And and all valid points. And I would just show them Leah's tweet about who Emma Frost is. Like I had saved on my phone like a screenshot of Leah tweeting about like her take on Emma Frost. And people would read it and just be like, okay, yeah, put me down for put me down for the X-Men Black book. Yeah. Like she gets some of these characters so well. Like in s- that it's it's amazing. Like that the insight that she got for these characters on the flyers, like It's, I I don't even know like how she gets there. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Like, she's one of the best writers in comics today. She deserves that title and credit, and we should be talking about her that way.
0: I agree. And it's the subtlety and nuance of how she understands what to pull from what canon. For instance, she knows that this is an issue that's focusing primarily on the new X Men Academy X kids, and thus, Jay Icarus who was recently revived is one of the flyers that she shows because she understands that people look for specific things. It makes emotional connections And that makes her not just a cerebrally smart writer, but that makes her an emotionally deft writer. And emotional deftness is something so necessary in a book about understanding why you're alive. Because that's what X Factor is. X Factor isn't just a book about bringing people back. It's about these broken people helping others, which helps them to understand why they are who they are. And... Just to one more time, just to squeeze, because, guys, so, like, I was buying New X-Men in Trades, but then I was buying Astonishing as it came out because I had caught up, thanks to New X-Men Trades at Barnes & Noble. And, and the fact
2: that Astonishing came out, like, once every seven months.
0: Well, those first four months were pretty solid. It, it got way off track way after that, and I think it's actually uh, the 24 issues and the giant size of Astonishing X-Men took my entire four-year college experience to come out.
2: The fact... That the Joss Whedon Astonishing that started in 2004 is the same run as the Marjorie Liu one that had North Star's wedding in issue 50 in like 2014, 2015 is just like, I still have trouble wrapping my mind around like X-Men Unlimited as a quarterly book move faster than that.
0: And, you know, the truth of it is genuinely... John Cassidy just could not hit his deadlines. And he's very open about it. He's very vocal about it. It's why the scripts are so wrong. Because Joss wrote them at the appropriate time, and then they don't line up with anything. John Cassidy was just having trouble getting that pen down and making it work. And so we wound up with a really delayed astonishing. And so I brought all that up because almost every character from New X-Men Academy X you could want to see is here on this page my precious dust right behind is her Mashallah! Mashallah! she's so wonderful and right behind her is jay you've got nori you've got i think that's lori in a black halter top which that's fine then mercury. you've got you've got mercury you've got prodigy you've got annalee you've got i'm pretty sure that's pixie in the background like you have every character from that era And as someone who loved that era and was told those characters don't matter anymore, they all got blown up on a bus, like this book did a lot for my fandom. I was not, I don't want to say the phrase, my fandom was made to feel complete. But if Marvel said, we're going to do an omnibus of New X Men Academy X, we're going to throw in the unlimited issue, the 13 issues of New Mutants, Volume 2, we're going to throw in the, you know, 16 issues of New X Men Academy X that are canon. going to toss in that Hellions mini and the yearbook special. I would be heartbroken if they didn't include this issue because a lot of fans of New X-Men Academy X felt like they never really got closure on those characters. They were all sidelined for new characters that were a bit more popular. Primarily the Hellions like Mercury and Hellion but this really was Leah Thompson saying, hey, 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 nope, Leah Williams. Leah Thompson is someone very different. This really was (laughs) Leah Williams saying, hey, New X-Men Academy X stands. I see you. Which probably means Jonah, you only recognized like three people on the page.
3: Well, that's why I did my research and I had to look up who everybody else was, which is why I said, <laughs> because I just learned her name. And I was like, Who's this metal person that Polaris is metal bending? Cecily. <laughs> Cecily is the best and then i was like oh her name is mercury and there was rock slide there and dust and wind dancer and i'm
0: pretty sure you can see the corner of wither's face and i'm just like oh i guess he's oh, back
3: Wither, uh tag who <laughs> okay so here's the
0: thing that run pretty much they came up with a cool name and then they gave it a power and that was the personality
2: now can i can i say again though i how much I love Soraya. As, as a Muslim, like the majority of Muslim characters when we get them fall into one of two categories. We get either the Muslim bad guy terrorist, which is like 70% of Muslim characters, or- Ooh,
0: bad writing. Or
2: we get a Muslim character that we know is a good guy or that we know is like relatable or like, hey, this is an okay Muslim because I'm going to do not Muslim things, things that Muslims won't do. Like we're going to have a gay Muslim character or we're going to have a Muslim woman that refuses to wear hijab or we're going to have like they'll find some way to non-muslim them so that way they can be a relatable okay like you know this is the good muslim and the fact that soraya is unapologetically muslim that she doesn't just wear hijab she wears the naqab like she is a niqabi and accepted and and just like deeply unapologetically muslim and good is the great like uh, i it's it's so important and it's so great and i'm so happy anytime i see her in a comic
0: that is the most important thing that like that's why we do this show that's why there is discourse because it is so important that people see things in characters now you're not soraya you're not a teen girl but you still see something that's important and that connects to you and that's what x factor is doing that not enough books are doing period But to touch on something else you brought up, the exquisite nature of Leah's Emma, right? Evelyn, it is so rare to see two women talking about something that doesn't involve a man at all. As a matter of fact, Emma and Danny's conversation on the next page doesn't even have to do with the man. It's specifically in relation to seeing Sophia come back.
1: It passes the Becknell test!
0: It is so unusual. It does. How did you feel as a woman in comics reading a comic by a woman featuring two women talking honestly about their emotional PTSD from the fights they've seen?
1: Honestly, I completely adored this interaction. Because I feel like people are just constantly sleeping on Emma. They always just think, oh, she's such a bitch, whatever. It's like, no, this girl has emotions. She is trying. She has love for her students. And this really just shows it. And she's always there for other people. And this time, someone's there for her. Like, yes, finally, someone is caring about her and giving her something and giving her attention. And I love absolutely every second of it. And
0: that someone, as a matter of fact, is the person she had a confrontation with, a very negative one, that started the New Mutants Volume 2 run that introduced Sophia. Which again, Leah doing her homework, being an incredibly deft writer. But okay, the highlight of the book is probably Polaris making fun of Dawkin. I think we can all agree (laughs) that. The book is Polaris impersonating Dawkin and then turning Cecily into a shield.
1: Well, remember, like, I was reading an interview about why Dawkin was, like, put in the first place. And they literally just said it's like, we just needed a thought. And I'm down for it.
2: And why not? And the fact that the daughter of Magneto and the son of Wolverine have a stupid brother-sister relationship, like never occurred to me before this, but is fantastic. And that she can, yes, he's a thought, and but she doesn't see him at all like that because there's like a brother-sister-ish vibe. And so she can just make fun of him and he grunts and takes it. And it's great. Like it's, it's a perfect dynamic in this book.
1: And he needs that. Like, I can't gush enough about Don of X. Like, I really can't with the way they've been doing the family dynamics of just everyone. Where it's like healthy relationships, who is she? I don't know her. But in Don of X, it's like it's actually like a thing question mark. And that makes me so happy because it's like you got the bonding between Dawkins and Wolverine. He's able to be like a normal, like annoying young adult and have those like fun interactions without being like a total edge lord. And it's great.
0: And so speaking of people that we kind of came into Dawn of X maybe uncertain about and we're walking away pretty excited. We get that beautiful showing of the boneyard in Diagram. And then, on the next page, we actually get, like, a layout of what's going on in the Boneyard. And I saw something that made my heart skip a bead. Love it. I see Elixir say, so Gorgon's been resurrected from Otherworld, but he's acting strangely. Uh,
2: Gorgon's back? Right? Give me Gorgon! And what's he gonna be like? Is he gonna be running around fucking rocks? Like, what kind of... I mean, would that be normal and not strange for him? Like, I don't, I'm so excited for this. Like, she throws these teases out, too, that the whole book is constantly exciting.
3: I do have an interesting theory. So, uh, at the end of of this issue, it's revealed that Siren has died. No! Outside of singing with Dazzler and potentially fisting her, uh, we haven't had too much- I forgot that panel! Oh my god! Uh, We haven't had too much going on with her, but I want to make a note of the art of her face. Her face looked cracked, like she was kind of turned to stone, and the only person I know who can do that is Gorgon, so... And she was pushed off a cliff, you know, she was given a little push. She was pushed off a cliff because, as Northstar so geniusly points out, she can fly, so... I feel like we may we may have uh, we may have a gorgon problem on our hands,
0: you know. And they're not wasting any time. We hear about the hellions who died in immense have all been returned already. So they're really moving at like a pretty breakneck pace. So, guys, as we approach as we approach the end of this book, tell me about how you feel about that breakneck pace.
2: Well, there's there's a lot of teases in here moving forward. Like it's. It's pretty wild that, you know, so much has happened in the first five issues, including, like, wrapping around X of Swords. And in this book, we got teases for an investigation into the death of Siren, into Gorgon coming back, into uh, them going on a mission into Mojo World to get Shatterstar, Atom X, and Spiral, and... We got this super sad, abusive relationship email thing as well of like, who is this from and who are they going to have to try to rescue or return or who's going to die because of this dark craziness as well? Like Leah has so many threads running out there and we're only in issue five. One of the things that I
0: loved is that they, because you keep bringing them up and I keep forgetting to say it because you're bringing them up perfectly. Sophia even says spiral Adam X and Shatterstar all try to sneak her out. They are going out of their way to keep it clear that these characters are still like on the side of good. And I think they'd all make excellent people to join X Factor. They all have something that would really connect, excuse me, all something that would really connect with this title. Now, Evelyn, you've mentioned that you didn't really care about Aurora. Which I'm cool with, right? Because I don't really care about Aurora. But am I the only one really turned on by Aurora and Daken just staring at each other, speaking monosyllabically?
1: Okay, so I've actually loved their whole interactions. Like, I don't know, like, they're both, like, he's such a man whore. And she's, like, a little bit, like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. But she, like, them together, like, it somehow works. And right? even if it's just, like, a casual relationship, it's a good one. And so far, at least, it seems relatively healthy. And, again, like, men healthy relationships, I don't know her. And yet we're getting them now, and I just, oh, it's just some good fucking food, and I just want to eat more.
0: And the heartiest meal for me was that unbelievable email. Holy shit. That email is talking about abusive relationships. I was in a physically abusive relationship for years in a really developmental time in my growing up. And like he would punch me in the stomach. And like I was like, no, he didn't mean it. He was just mad. And over time, the box really got too small. There wasn't even room for him to wind up his fist anymore. And you really do start to feel like you're suffocating. And there was just something about this page that I feel like Leah... Understands pain in such an empathetic way. Josh, I know you are like such an emotionally based person. How did you feel about
2: that email? It was so I, I'll context this too is that I have not been in an um, abusive relationship like that for the most part because I was such a rabid mess um, through most of my adolescence and adult life that. I couldn't really be in relationships. Like the closest I got is a relationship that, you know, ended with someone swinging a tire iron at my head, but the majority of the times that we had seen each other or were together were filled with lots and lots of vodka. So I I I couldn't form relationships strong enough to let to tie me into something like that for the longest time. and by the time I started getting healthy and better, then I met my wife and we have a healthy better relationship. but I have been surrounded and seen so much of it and, and so to have seen it so much from the outside and to have seen and and have that bit of confusion that you get when you're never on the inside of like, why do people stay or oh, like feeling for them? Because you know that they can't get out, but you just know they're going to get hurt more. And and the way that she was able to explain it, similar to the uh, chrono skimming with you know the film reeling off, the way that she was able to take something that someone on the outside wouldn't be able to understand and help them understand and feel feel it um was like again i leah is one of the best writers in comics right now her name should be up there like we should be talking about her at that hickman level like we should be talking about her at that you know if if you like if you're a tom king fan or um you know the people who are doing the best work at the big two right now um al ewing gets a lot of the credit um Leah needs to be up there because what she can do is is like something I can't remember anyone doing in big two soup you know superhero books before.
0: I agree completely. And the emotions don't stop there for the next couple of pages. I I you know I grew up not having a lot of gay superheroes, so I loved North Star when I was younger, and then when I found out his personality, I got over it pretty quick. But that moment of beautiful light, you know, Jonah, going back to what you said, that first cover took you, right? When I see that light, when they finally touch hands, when they finally get to be a family again, there's something so powerful. I almost don't notice how unbelievably hot Dokken and Prodigy look on the page, because I I do, but I almost don't,
2: because- We need to say Israel Silva's name here. Because Israel Silva did an amazing job there. Israel Silva is the colorist on this book. And those pages were so stunningly beautiful in a way that not just... In a way that Rockslide would say. Yes. Not just that like Marte Gracia makes Krakoa look beautiful, but something that was supposed to be so beautiful in the book. So that way, all of these characters would be taken aback like, holy shit, that's so beautiful and he made it so that way we also were taken aback with them and understanding why they were Israel Silva did an amazing job and you know we don't we don't recognize colorists enough so i'm just going to keep saying his name and i'm going to say it one more time that was Israel Silva
0: yeah my husband is a colorist so i'm kind of the worst so I should probably mention my comics professional colorist husband. So I should probably bring up colorists a little bit more. Yikes. But guys, as we wind down this issue, what are your guys' parting thoughts on X Factor number five?
3: Jonah? Uh, Everyone's gay. We respect lesbians. And I'm hoping for some uh, male-on-male action in the next one. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I'm there. I'm there. Um, But seriously, I love the continuous... um, Characterization that's brought to these characters who I think deserve a chance in this not only in the spotlight but just for newer readers like myself to learn their name and to learn to love them or learn to hate them, wherever the you know mission of the writer and the art team is meant to be. I love the attention to detail on everything. One of the moments that we didn't get a chance to like fully discuss was Emma and Danny, who play a major part not only in Academy X but also with Sophia. Uh, who this kind of issue is celebrating the return of. And I think the continued characterization of characters, even if they're tangentially related to people who are more important to this book, is such an amazing, amazing attention to detail, but also just showing that like there everything is not, you know, beautiful in paradise. Sure, the drinks are free at the Green Lagoon. But, you know, shit's fucked up. Absolutely. Josh,
0: what are you looking for from this book that we all can't stop praising going forward?
2: That this is essentially, even though it is a deep lore book, writing the Resurrection Protocols, and that it is designed to be a procedural where you know every epi- issue or two issues can be its own little murder mystery story, it is essentially the book that's going to give us all of the good relationship dynamics because every murder mystery story that develops a resurrection protocol is going to be about characters we know and love and are not seeing enough of in other books and their families and friends and what brought them to their death and what they're escaping from and what they're moving into and what doors were closed and what doors are opening for them now and every time we're going to get a character from the last 50 years that we love that we haven't gotten enough of and we're going to get them in the best possible way with all of their relationships because this is a each issue is filled with the relationship dynamics for who we're seeing. And like the nesting of those three things is like Evelyn said, like it's 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 the best food. Like it's you just I just want to keep eating more and more of it.
0: And speaking of our resident Evelyn, Evelyn, what's your hope for X Factor in the future?
1: I definitely agree with everything that everyone has said about getting these like character developments, but having some more of these smaller plots that aren't like, it's the end of the world. I mean, it's the end of the world for someone, but it's not the end of the world for everyone. And having a little less states, but having more investigation and a little bit more brain power, more than like muscle power is something that I'm definitely looking forward to because I feel like it's definitely been more muscle power since, like, especially with Ten of Swords right now. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing a little bit more of the mystery element.
0: I hear you. I I agree with what everyone's saying. And if I could add one thing, I think, so dumb, but I really hope that they are able to find a way to keep covering these characters. I joked after the first issue that I wanted this to be, x-men rehab and they would take in these damaged characters with these damaged backstories and these unclear continuities and they would fix them and send them on their way but now i don't want I, i don't ever want leah and david to let any of these little babies go and israel you too you keep holding these babies and i just want to keep seeing the incredible deft character work that has made this book so special to us continue Hey everybody, Nico here again, and as part of our expanded coverage, we're going to be taking a look at the Union. Now, the Union started as an Empire tie-in, and ultimately became a King in Black tie-in due to the events of COVID-19. Now, outside of that, you might be wondering why we're covering this. Well, the X-Men have a long history of UK titles, and frequently connect back to them, thanks to the pages of Excalibur and Captain Britain. This title was one that a number of us were very much looking forward to, and we hope it made your guys pull list too. If not, hey, maybe check it out after this. This next segment features Kyle, Nathan, Maddie, and Robbie discussing the title and what maybe more they were looking for from the first issue while still being excited for the upcoming issues. Hope you enjoy.
4: Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us. We are covering the union today. I am Nathan. You can find me online on Instagram and Twitter at Dazzler AOA.
5: I'm Kyle. You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at drantis82. D R A N T I S eight two.
6: Hey guys, it's Maddie. You could find me over on Instagram at at the basely covetous man. And I am Robbie,
7: and you could find me at Age of Polaris on Twitter.
6: Today we are
4: covering the union. So it's the Britannia project. So with writer Paul Grist, pencilers Andrea DeVito and Paul Grist, and inks by Drew Geraci on LeBeau Underwood and Paul Grist, which is actually a common theme for the writer Paul Grist. So I know we were saying in the green room before, this is a lot of your guys' first encounter with with the author. I thought it was too. I know he's done a lot of more indie work. So he's done some Judge Dredd in the past. He's done a story, like a grisly kind of cop story called Kane. He did a superhero story called Jack Staff. Jack Staff is based off of Union Jack. So it was a pitch story he pitched to Marvel that really didn't quite fly. So he reworked it for his own self. And the story I had read was Rift War, which is like, to me, the best Torchwood comic story. Um, you know, don't read a lot of like... The stuff, uh, the Doctor Who comics are of hit and miss quality, but The Rift War was probably the best Torchwood comic that there was. So that's my experience with Paul Griss. We get into the story of The Union. Where are you guys at with the story?
5: <laughs> I'm... Gonna have to say that there's not a lot of story at the moment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. I, I'm sorry, but but they they spent most of the book playing capture the flag, and then what? The final three pages were when they actually hit the uh, the king in black event. <laughs>
7: yeah. <laughs> yeah, and definitely Ooh. with um to capture the flag, it is kind of, like, a bit of a letdown with, like, how they went about it when it came to, like, using... Members, because when it comes to X Men, they could like an X Men when they play baseball, they tend to, you know, have you know, fun little dialogue. Like, if Rogue is the pitcher, (laughs) and he
4: is more nervous than a cat, a long tail cat, and a room full of rocking chairs.
7: (laughs) (laughs) You got it this time, (laughs) exactly. And you know, with things like that, it's that's a fun way to, you know, utilize a fun personality and getting to know the character characters and in this issue we get like shit half a line from some of the characters and using like some type of fun game it would have been a very great way for us to get to know the characters and that kind of didn't hit right
6: (laughs) yeah I think it was, uh, personally, I think it was a strange choice to begin this tied into uh, King and in Black, almost called a Null and Black. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I believe we had discussed in the green room that this was originally supposed to be tied into Empire. And so I can easily see where it was swapped out plant people for venomized dragons.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... Yep, yep. <laughs> Which, yeah, that's that's... It's kind of disappointing, really. Um, back when this was announced during uh, the lead up to Empire, I was really excited because all of these uh, new these characters seemed really cool. And then they they compressed Empire, and this got canceled. And then turn around, what a month ago, and they're like, "Oh, hey, Union's coming out, <laughs> right?" Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, okay. I I guess I'll pick it up now. And it it just felt like we didn't even get to spend that much time with with the characters. Half of them were in shadow most of the book. And we spent the majority of the time just focusing on uh, Union Jack and one other soldier. Yeah,
4: basically. Yeah.
7: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so one thing that's also a bit of a letdown is, like, some of these characters have, like, full-on potential to be, Mm -hmm. like, gay icons. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like Kelpie, for example. (laughs) Right. Kelpie is top-tier material. Like, she has that, like, vibe. Of kind of like, you know, combination, like looks-wise of like Pixie and Dazzler. Yeah. She has it right there, and we got one line from her. Bullshit. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah.
4: laughs> <laughs> the <a> hate crime. <laughs> it, re- it
7: truly is.
4: <laughs>
8: uh
4: I the I sometimes like it when they introduce characters and they're like, hey, this is a long-standing character that we've never seen before. But in this instance, it just seems like, okay, wait, where was she when, like, Excalibur was battling this thing? Or, like, why didn't she help M.I. 13 with that thing? So, like, or where was she during that whole fiasco of Steve Rogers being a Nazi? Like, um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -mm -mm. So, like, I did love... So... I loved and I didn't so like obviously Union Jack is the more known Marvel entity right and and knowing that the writer had like a previous pitch for a Union Jack story I get why he focused on Union Jack but but hell I want to know more about Britannia I want to know about Kelpie so bad oh my god choir like snakes like and we didn't get any of it and then bam we get Britannia she dies at the end of the first issue.
5: Yeah, what's what's Which is, up with that? <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. so
7: confusing because it's like, okay, but she's on the other covers. So is she dead or what? <laughs>
4: I, well, she does say like, no, don't worry, Joey boy. I had a good run this time. So like, I'm guessing she's some sort of like a mortal because I, I'm sure that I'm sure that the UK government wouldn't put a mutant in charge of their. <laughs> Uh, teams after the whole Captain Britann fiasco that they, yeah. yeah, but like it's a mystery and I kind of want to know more, but like I don't know how much more I want to know. You know if that makes sense.
5: Yeah, <laughs> like, totally, totally.
4: Um, I did love the whole like it was cute the whole bit where they're trying to figure out the name of the true team, having people vote on it. Um,
5: <laughs> yes, like it's. it's... <laughs> like, what was well, it?
4: Uh, <laughs> Hold on! It is da, 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 da. it is Soupy McSuperhero Club. Like,
5: <laughs> oh, that that joke is going to live for for a long time, isn't it?
3: Yeah.
4: Anytime these guys appear, they're going to be like,
5: "Hey, it's the Soupy McSuperhero Club, people." <laughs> oh.
6: Well, that's kind of what we are, isn't it? This is the
5: Soupy McSuperhero
6: Club.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nico change the name <laughs> <laughs> yes welcome to another episode of the soupy make superhero Club. Oh, i love it that that blows hey
0: everybody nico here we will not be changing the name of the show thanks please keep enjoying your segment yes
4: okay <laughs> I wonder what the other choices for the names are. Obviously they're going to pick on the union because that's the name of the book, but like, so they show team UK, like what do you think would be other crazy superhero team names for a UK based mm. team?
5: Oh, um, geez. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know enough. I don't know enough Marvel UK or uh, uh UK folklore to, to pull something like that out of my, <laughs> my head. <laughs>
4: Um, that that so like that's a, that's a good point. There's a lot of actual existing UK teams. Most of them live either in the X universe or adjacent to the X universe. Obviously, the most famous is Excalibur, right? We all know Excalibur. So. Yeah. Um, so then you had uh, Knights of the Pendragon. Uh, you had Mistech, which was, I don't know if any of you guys read that cool 90s UK, very tied into the X Men line. Uh, it had like Dark Angel and it had like Motormouth and Death Head 2 and all of that. Uh, that was a really cool book. Um, you've got Strike and MI 13, which are basically their shield um so you've got technet which i don't know if they're really uk they're they're more like aliens (laughs) um the union now um and then we've got uh the special executive which basically became technet and then you've got um the super soldiers too but yeah, that's basically pretty much all of the UK teams. And probably like 70% of them are steeped in X-Men lore if they're not X-Men officially. Oh, how can I forget who? You've got Who with uh oh, right, Alistair and Alistair Stewart, which obviously not a super clever play on Brigadier Stewart from Doctor Who. So
5: Yeah, I completely forgot about who. <laughs> I know.
4: Oh my gosh, so steeped in Excalibur. (laughs) I'm like, ah. But obviously, the UK government is very much like, we don't want a mutant representing us now, so let's go outside of the box. So it makes me wonder about the characters. Do you think any of them are mutants? I know we don't know much about them at this time, but what are you guys thinking on that?
7: If they gave us any info (laughs) on them, it, it, um, it would be easier to pinpoint if they were or not <laughs> yeah even
6: even with uh with regards to their powers like kelpie is cut and dry kelpie right. is uh controls water we don't know yet if britannia is some sort of immortal or you know possesses the ability to come back choir uh, is a telepath of some sort but it's vague and if i swear if snakes is not just a seven foot tall snake with arms
4: <laughs> I am going to be oh amazed. yes, I thought I thought he was just going to be a bunch of snakes, but one all snake would be oh, fun.
6: like Muppet Man.
4: Yes,
3: <laughs>
6: like oh, I love snakes it. <laughs> I I
5: do I do wonder why his text bubbles are diamonds compared to everybody else's ovals, but that's that's really the only thing that. Sorry, his thought bubbles are diamonds. Um, oh yeah. But that's that's really all that we get out of him. We we don't know anything about about him. At least with Choir, we can tell that she kind of makes a an ultrasonic sound, I think. Yeah.
4: yeah. That's that's what I would think. That's what it seems like. Because she, like, uses her, I'm guessing, her sound power to disrupt his equilibrium. So, definitely. Yeah. And it's kind of cool seeing Kelpie with her water shards. Because I'm guessing they have to be hard water. Because otherwise, like, just, like... Soft water really wouldn't scare anybody.
6: <laughs> I, I, I I think to pull from Avatar: The Last Airbender, I think we're using like waterbender logic. Oh. yeah, oh. yeah, because
5: because she did also kind of envelop that soldier in a uh, puddle thing, I guess. <laughs>
6: <laughs> uh, I love how I love how Union Jack's like the the before the dragon came in the height of the action in this story was Union Jack being like, wait, it hasn't rained for two weeks. Don't step in that puddle. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, and I, I think I think about this a lot, and it's been a long time since I've worked on a comic book, and I give to Nico, who was writing Kid Riot, which we worked on together for a while, I give the writers all the credit because there is something about it visualizing something as you write it and realizing that it fails in execution. Mm-hmm. That was probably Paul Grist was like, yeah, this is going to be really dynamic. And then it was a man stepping in a puddle and almost drowning. <laughs> there there is no way to 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 make it more dynamic than that. No.
4: <laughs> I, I kind of feel that more than introducing the characters itself the story was more a commentary on where the artist felt i mean not the artist where the writer felt britain and uk is as a whole now because you get a lot of references to hey this is a new uk even the morning talk show bit is not what we're used to seeing in the u.s as uk uh media so it's, it's a lot more sensationalized it's, it's times are changing
6: you know it's
4: that seems to be
6: the gist
4: of the story to me, but also dragons.
6: <laughs> you know, something something that I want to keep in mind as we continue covering Union, because while there isn't much that we can talk about today in regards to the actual content of this individual story, we can begin to look forward as to what our coverage of the Union is going to look like over the next six months and I just want to say, as we're all based out of the States, for anyone who yep. is, uh makes up the demographic of our international audience, I don't know how this book is going to play out as far as living up to the hype of being a post-Brexit horrific metaphor. (laughs) Um, So that is something that I personally, as far as, as far as international politics go, I am a little ignorant to. So that is something I will be, I will be versing myself in as we continue to cover this book. If that proves to be a major plot point, I can't imagine it wouldn't be. It's, it's, It would be ignorant in and of itself to say that a book coming out that is supposed to be exclusively UK heroes, that is supposed to be an assemblage of the best the UK has to offer from Britain to Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, it would be foolish to believe that we might not see some of the social zeitgeist penetrate this book.
5: Oh yeah, I definitely could see that. It definitely has a lot of social commentary through not only the... Little mini comic at the very beginning of the book, but also yep. through the discussion that the morning anchors have. So yeah, it's it's. I think it'll help to bring the U.S. Uh, readers more in uh, line with what's happening in the U.K. Maybe.
6: Yeah. You, you know, it's it's difficult to to parlay for a moment into just a a, a vague concept of understanding politics as an outsider through the lens of comics and comic related media i would say that right now a lot of people who make up our international audience probably watched the boys based on the original garth Ennis work and looked at homelander and said oh that's an obvious trump allegory because it's it's one man it's 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 easier to understand the the social makeup of the political landscape of a foreign country When you have a mouthpiece there haven't been many mouthpieces to my knowledge as an american in the wake of brexit so i am going to be walking on eggshells as we cover this title because i don't i it would be the hat would be on the shoe would be on a different foot if this were uh flipped if we were getting if we were getting an exclusively american team something that was supposed to represent american ideology
4: oh no no absolutely agree yeah no that's yeah because it 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 is hard for us definitely (laughs) not living there to know the daily ins and outs of everything it's
2: yeah
0: Hey everybody, Nico here one last time, and if our Twitter feedback has told us anything, it's that you guys want to know a little bit more about the hosts themselves. So, we're going to start factoring in picks of the week. Now, these picks of the week aren't going to be limited to just X Men, and they may include some amount of spoilers for some titles that were released either this week or recently. So, If you're a little bit spoiler sensitive, you might want to turn the episode off at this segment or maybe just fast forward about 20 seconds when you hear a name you like. But either way, this next piece has residents Raven, Rod, and Arturo talking about some of their favorite books of the week like Thor, the aforementioned X-Factor, and Arturo even pulls out a personal favorite of mine with The Dreaming from Sandman Presents. And guys, we hope you enjoy this new feature here on X's for Podcast. Well, right. me
5: personally, that would be uh the X Factor Five.
9: That was a really good issue.
8: Was yes. really good. That was a great issue. That was a great issue. What uh, did what what did you love about it?
7: it can I say everything? Because it was everything. It there was so much like character involvement and and like you're seeing how, how mutants are, are being trapped in other worlds like Mojo World. Um and then, you know they they they're getting resurrected like you actually get to get a sense of the team who works um in the boneyard and ah uh-huh. oh, it was just so great and there was like there was joy and celebration and connection and like oh it was just it was <laughs> so heartwarming to see and
8: I love the world building that's happening in that book like just
0: yes
8: like you don't even like Dazzler's nowhere to be seen but she's Mm -hmm. mentioned and that's so cool you know and there's all of these new mutants and like yes we're going to be telling stories of like obscure mutants and people we haven't seen in forever but there's Mm -hmm. so much fertile ground to be talking about completely brand new people with new powers new you know innovative ideas and like and I, I just love that that's happening in that book you know that that it's yeah. not just it's not just like the gumshoe detective agency and now they're like let's go on you know what I mean like <laughs> yeah, there is yeah, some of that yeah. but there is yeah. a lot more of like like they're part of I like that that book's kind of becoming uh, an extension of the five right yeah. like the five yeah. are, are big characters in that book so yeah I I agree that one was great um, I think Hellions might be my pick of the week but I'm gonna I'm gonna do I'm gonna go outside of Marvel for my pick of the week and I'm gonna say uh, the Dreaming waking hours, number five, uh, in the Sandman universe written by G. Willow Wilson with incredible oh, wow. art by Nick Robles. Uh, I cannot speak highly enough about this book. I love it so much. It's mm-hmm. it's it feels like very fami- like if you like Sandman, if you've read Neil Gaiman, like it feels like a f- like you're returning to like a familiar world and, mm-hmm. uh, and and there's something reassuring about that, but it's also a completely new story and, and it's like they're doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. Why? while also, you know, being being honest to the source material. And mm-hmm. yeah, I just, I love it so much. It's it's like, it's my pick of the week.
9: What about you, Rod? So, okay. So I, I, wanna, I loved X-Factor and Hellions. I want to go outside of X-Men mm-hmm. uh, to pick my pick of the week. And so the one I was going to pick, um, but I'm not going to pick it now because I'm about to do a segment on it with, with Chango. It's with King in Black because that came out mm. soon week and that event started mm-hmm. and i thoroughly enjoyed that book i've been waiting for this book a while because i've been reading the whole venom run and i've been really on that train mm-hmm. um so i won't pick that because i'm going to do a whole segment about that on this podcast so we're going to skip that <laughs> mm-hmm. so instead of picking that i'm going to pick the new door that came out this week Ooh. Which is also by Donnie cates and oh i can't remember the artist i think it's mint not mitch it's nick nick clane i think Oh, I think so. But that art is absolutely beautiful. And I, I've really enjoyed what he's done with Thor so far. I don't know if y'all, I don't think y'all have been read thor but if you, if you haven't and you, you want to, I recommend it. Donnie is definitely going like a different way with Thor. He's doing more like, um, Because Thor, as you know, or you might not know, uh, just became king of Asgard. Mm -hmm. Odin's not king anymore. He's the king now. And he's basically writing him going through all that and trying to still be a hero and do that. But it's more like Mm -hmm. it's in this new um, chapter. It's called Prey. And him and his alter ego, Blake. Because, you know, back in the older comics when Thor used to turn into a human for his, like, secret identity. Mm-hmm. So that was a actual, like, personality, like, person that Odin created just so Thor could, like, hide out and, like, b- between the humans. So, mm-hmm. but we never found out what happened to that personality. So apparently that personality, uh, uh, that person has been locked away in this, like, magical like nowhere land for a long time Mm -hmm. and we find out that that person went insane and then when thor tried to connect with him again he took over thor's body basically and is now wreaking havoc and now we see the aftermath like we see how powerful he is and and it's just, in it's really like horrifying, and like how strong he is. He basically, because he has, he's in Thor's body, so he has Thor's power, mm-hmm. but he also has like more magical power. And now he's like, he wants to destroy everything that Odin has made mm-hmm. because Odin made him basically just for like just a toy, a vessel. just a yeah. vessel for Thor. He didn't, he didn't even consider what doing with the damage he was doing to create this person for nothing so he's Mm -hmm. overly like mad and insane and Mm -hmm. he's like trying to kill everybody and so he's like going after everything that thor loves and the last page we see one of people that a lot of people have loved is we see him going after valkyrie jane foster Mm -hmm. and now we're going to see him going after her after that and i I really like this issue i like what he's doing with this i like how he's digging up the past of thor and trying to like make sure no stone is left unturned and you'll definitely see if you read like the first few issues of this thor run you'll definitely see um some shocking things I don't want to say that will happen. you will be like, what the hell? <laughs> Ooh, I
8: can, you kind of have got me in the mood to, to dig into some Thor. I haven't read Thor in so long.
9: Yeah, you, you definitely should. I think, I think it probably won't be is, is your usual read on what you're, you know, enjoying, but I, I think it's really good. I think it's really well written and it's different. And I enjoy that.